We're all gathered here today to listen to a dwarf cast by Ganymede and Titan. Start the tape, please, Holly. Awoga, this is a dwarf cast. Hello and welcome to the Ganymede and Titan Dwarfcast commentary for Series 11, Episode 5, Crisis. I'm Ian Symes and joining me today are Jonathan Capps, Klosh, Daniel Stevenson, uh, Klosh. and Klosh. Uh, coming up after the Klosh, we've got a latest edition of Waffle Men, uh, the segment in which we answer your Red Dwarf questions. Uh, but first it's commentary time, so if you want to sync up your audio to ours, then press play on your device after these pips, Klosh. There ain't no place in the whole of cyberspace. www.ganymede.tv Closh, 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 closh. Dead, 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 dead. Uh, so, Crisis finished number 50 in the Pearl Poll. Fuck. Which is, um, yeah, below par, I'd say. it's. Uh, mm. It was number four of six uh, from... Series 11. Uh, Wasn't that Kevin Eldon? (laughs) Good point. (laughs) Uh, It was below Twentica, for example. Uh, Officer Rimmer and Give and Take in that order. Um, But I would place it higher than that. I think Mm. it's possibly my favourite from Series 11. I think it might be mine as well. You've got a strong point there. Like It's definitely very close to Give and Take. It's in in the upper upper echelons of the series for me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I can see why it sort of flew under a lot of people's radar as being, you know, not particularly attention grabbing. There's no big necessarily headline moments. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of those episodes that could easily have just been a mid series, just like par for the course episode. But yeah. there's just something about it for me. That just also, before it broadcast, bit. it was there's going to be an episode where Crichton has a midlife crisis and puts a Ferrari shell on, and like who. <laughs> There's not many Red Dwarf fans that wouldn't roll their eyes at the prospect of that. Yeah, <clears throat> but there was yeah, there was all this other stuff that we didn't know about in the pre-publicity, and that's probably the surprise element is probably what helped it. Yeah, it's you, you know, there's two. We different came elements. in expecting, yeah. came in expecting one thing and got sold sold a dummy, but were entirely happy with the price negotiated. <laughs> I, did, I like the I like the uh, the with the crying and the, the t- moving the hour forward and doing that forever and that's <laughs> about yeah the, the, there's a nice there's a nice nice rhythm to this scene it's like um everyone's kind of like uh, on top of their game and i, I think this episode just in jet like on a whole is just really lovely it's really like it's just really good fun like Every bit of I it. think it, it gives us a taste of kind of this is downtime really it's like for a the life crew. Episode. They don't yeah. they don't particularly like they don't particularly get into moments of peril. There's a bit where it looks like they might, but really they're just doing their own thing and like that there's there are obviously external things in this episode, quite major ones, but <laughs> they've gone and sort them out. It's not something that, you know, it's not an adventure that's come to them. I know it's a meme at this point, but that is a weird closh. <laughs> that is yeah. a hat. We went, we went two minutes and 40 seconds into the actual episode. Of that I, just, I just can't, I can't let this go. Like, that is 
a builder's hat. A builder's. <laughs> it is. It's a hat hard on. There's just there's no two ways about it. And the thing is, is that that's not a, a builder's hat in universe. That is a prop <laughs> that, with the best will in the world, someone has tried to make look like a pro, a, a cloche. Anyway. I don't think it's like. I don't think it's deliberately. I don't think in. <laughs> I think it's quite an improvising a cloche. Okay. Rather. <laughs> Rather than a, a prop master improvising a cloche, it's just a it's weird like it's him trying to posh it up. It's like how Lister makes uh, goes down to the medical unit and raids supplies in order to have a posh meal in series three. Is repurposed okay. this old build this old mining helmet. Uh, <laughs> so it's it's a masterful it's a piece ship. of world building, basically. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, Fine I think line. the reason cloche became a meme <laughs> four years ago is that very few people knew. That that thing that you lift up over a plate is called a cloche. Right. Until until people started talking about cloche. <laughs> it's a fun word to say, though, isn't it? Oh yeah, it's a great word. The um, the live um, the live dwarf cast for this <laughs> when we did the dwarf facts was one of the many things that we threw at that series of live dwarf cast, <laughs> and um, which actually my among my favourite stuff we've done for them. And then one of the dwarf facts was just cloche. <laughs> and then it. Da, 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 <laughs> I think I think that was included in the hundred uh, episode hundred as well. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, and then it got to become such a meme that it, <laughs> it ended up being referenced in the Red Dwarf Eleven game. In the officer, is it officer? No, in the give and take section where you're cleaning up oh, Crichton's. Yeah. You're trying to recover the Captain Bollocks file from Creighton's uh, cache. Uh, one of the files is just called cloche.txt. <laughs> and you open it up and it says, how did this get here? <laughs> I'd completely forgotten about that. That is our one, the one time that Ganymede and Titan is impinged on an actual official bit of Red Dwarf output. Oh, apart from the correcting of give and take on the menu. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. To an ampersand. Um, I was thinking this. What, what would... What would... What games, what mini games would you have for this episode? Like, so keep an eye out for that as we watch it. Like, what mini games would there have been in the Red Dwarf Eleven game for this episode? If they'd have managed to get as far as episode five. <laughs> Bless. So this is a great example of this is a series eight concept, really, especially the Crichton stuff. In fact, only only really the Crichton midlife crisis is a bit of a series eight thing because it involves Crichton being a little bit like ridiculous and extreme. But it's done in a better way, and I mm. don't entirely know why. But um, it's really stupid. But for some reason, I just find it really joyous and <laughs> funny. It's weird as this I episode because it definitely feels like as if uh, Butler is. I think I might have said this before, but I think like I treat this as sort of like a dimension jump type episode where Crichton discovers his ace. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. What he could have been, like sort of like a, a yeah. But the thing is, if he hadn't have taken care of Lister, then he could have spent time doing. If he wasn't being so selfish, but that's not how he wanted to live life. But you know that whole thing of he had to, he would have had to give up a lot of things in order to, uh, or the yeah. crew would have had to be dead in order for Crichton to be able to do what he wanted to do, and you know, Crichton didn't yeah. see life that way. But. 
maybe if it have realised that the Nova Five crew were dead, rather than trying to tend to them for millions of years, yeah, <laughs> then he could have achieved what Butler did. Yeah, yeah, but that's his that's his nature, isn't it? So Butler yeah. presumably found them dead and and Didn't got them buried shit. straight away and just like mm-hmm. carried on. Whereas Crichton seems to have this kind of duty of care that maybe goes above and beyond what you'd expect from yeah. a mechanoid, and that's kind of the point. He's just <laughs> uh, here. He is with his big silly oiled nipples. <laughs> It's a great costume. I like how he's got the um, he, he's he's got the Wembley arch on his head. <laughs> <laughs> I assume a lot of that is just some of it is salvaged and some of it's custom built. It's pretty. It's it does the job. I wonder if the cloche was an abandoned part of this costume. <laughs> the, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was good. Well, he's ba- he's based oh, his new costume on the cloche. <laughs> yeah. That cloche looks like it's living life. Bright red (laughs) with a big handle on the top. Perfect. How are they doing the um, the arcing effect on the? uh... It's uh, it's one of them. um, There's a there is a like a gadget. There's like a plasma. um, Oh yeah, Yeah. plasma ball thing, but it's like a flat plane, and you can yeah, it kind of reacts to sound and and stuff like that. I like how this music is basically. sort of late 80s dance slash trance music <laughs> like we used to listen to this back on the Nova 5 and you know obviously that was in the <laughs> 80s for us <laughs> I don't think Red Dwarf's ever come out of the 80s really No, <laughs> as we've been discussing quite a lot recently but no I think the other than the leaving aside the aesthetics and the new suit and that the reason that this works fundamentally is all based on that scene in the sleeping quarters where Crichton outlines his thinking behind his midlife crisis it doesn't just come out of nowhere it's not like yeah. it's not like a midlife crisis chip has been activated and it makes him act like this he's behaving in an entirely in character way like his behavior is rooted in his own thoughts and his own decision making yeah. mm-hmm. and it's come and it's quite of- relatable yeah like, I don't know if it's just me, but I think I remember saying it at the time and people agreed that you do have those thoughts sometimes of like, what's the point of doing any of this? Even if you're doing something you love, whether that's a hobby or a job or both, you just every now and then you think, well, well <laughs> whether it's a jobby, <laughs> uh, every now and then you just think, well, we're all going to die at some point. So what's the fucking point? Yeah, you do. Uh, and on that note, that's the end of this podcast. <laughs> Especially recently for for reasons you know you, you know there's a lot of thoughts like that of just yeah. like what like you know what what am i doing like you know what is the point of what i'm doing and without you know jumping to the end of the episode the end result of this episode is really lovely and yeah um i think that's why i like, i hold it in such high regard is because it yeah the situation comes out of makes sense comes out of character stuff and the resolution is all about, all, you know, everyone being together and, you know, stuff that matters. And it just it just feels really satisfying. It's a really nice, yeah. satisfying episode. However, I'm not sure how I feel about the thing of them casually going into stasis in between adventures. Yeah. That's a bit it's like, a, it's, yeah. It's a new, it's like, I don't, I guess there's nothing wrong with it really. But it's only there to aid this particular plot, really, of of heading back to a bit of space that's a bit more populated. It's dropped in to solve. Uh, it, it would have been writing this and just thought, ah, they can't just like. Well, it comes out of the fact that 
out of nowhere they've just said oh yeah that old nova 5 technology that we've had since literally the beginning or pretty much the beginning of the show we could just find another ship like you'd think Crichton would have wanted to do that straight away for example Mm. um and then from that you'd be like well you can't just do that without it taking hundreds of years so i guess we're going to have to put them into stasis and so it's like it's solving a problem that doesn't that was created with a bit of a convenient plot point it's interesting because yeah. I see it as Lister just doing some like Lister going above and beyond to help Crichton. I Didn't see they do this a lot. Like, Maybe they do this a lot. thing from Lister. Yeah, mm, yeah. Like no, he's been yeah. quite nice with with Crichton. He wants to genuinely help him, and he's trying to you know, and he will go to quite you know quite long ends to he to 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 help him. He's never got over the master servant thing, has he? And the guilt that he has from the master servant mm. relationship. I mean, it's the last day again. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Ultimately, it does make quite the sacrifice because Kachansky's still out there somewhere. And so if they've just been in stasis for a couple of hundred years, Kachansky's <laughs> long dead now. Yeah. Shit, he's, yeah. effect- he's effectively left Kachansky to die to help Crichton. <laughs> just drop that in there. Yeah, just drop that in there. Yeah. This is the same set as the uh, Officer Rumor, isn't it? Yeah. Must be. Redressed. Yeah. It would be incredibly wasteful if it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> they just burnt it. Yeah, burnt it and then, oh shit, we need another white set. <laughs> <clears throat> so, the, um, Butler is a series, almost certainly covered this at the time, but I have no memory. Um, <laughs> series 3000 Mechanoid, which is the same series that Lister was said to be in Out of, in, time, out of time, which is supposed yeah. to be a human, realistic human version. So. However, um, I did. I was looking for something on GNT and stumbled across some comments about this at the time, and we kind of headcanoned that the only time we ever hear that Series 3000 is human-like is in that unreality bubble. Uh, so maybe that was part of the unreality bubble. That thought, in real life, yeah. that in real life, the Series 3000s yeah. didn't look more human. That was part of the illusion. The blurb on the back of the Smegups uh, VHS calls yes. Crichton a Series 3000 as well. And I have... Genuinely, I, I would have forgotten something useful in my head just so I could keep that bit of information. <laughs> the etymology of the word concerto, if you go to Wikipedia and look this up, is word for word verbatim. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was. Do it, you dabble in plagiarism? <laughs> <laughs> I do like how he just unbidden just just launches into concerto. You know, I'm going to tell you what this stands for. For no, he is no. kind of showing off. He's <clears throat> yeah. being a bit of a dick towards Crichton. Yeah, but it gets away. The show, the episode gets away with it because of how good Dominic Coleman is. Basically, it's weird. I want yeah. to see Butler as being pretentious and being arrogant. But I think that he just is... He has no idea how much smarter mm. he is than everyone else. Yeah. That's how I'm yeah. seeing it. I'm seeing it as he's not trying to be smart and, and throwing information at people. He just sort of does it by accident and it's sort of like a... Oh, you, you didn't know that? I was like, I, I just... But, but I suppose if you... You would assume other people know things you do, therefore you wouldn't say it. I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, he just, but he just likes to impart knowledge, right? I read a little bit of competitiveness between the two 
mechanoids. I think that's all it is. It, yeah. They're kind of trying to scope each other out. Yeah. And it's uh, just more overt with Crichton because he's, you know, his programming yeah. is long broken and he's got all these extra emotions that Butler doesn't have. Yeah. Well, Crichton comes in and outwards like the reason he's gone there is because he assumes Butler's going to be worse than him and he wants Butler to be worse than him. Yeah, yeah he's gone there and in bad think, faith. Yeah. Yeah. So he kind of deserves everything he gets. It's Crichton that's been the prick in this situation, really. It, it really is hard to think of a more complete guest performance than this one. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't superb. it? Yeah. He's just out one of the all-time greats. Yeah. Out, like, just... It is pitch perfect. And, again, like, acting in a mask is really difficult. Yeah. Because <laughs> Robert Llewellyn has obviously... He's got it down. <laughs> he's, he's got it honed over the last 30-odd years. But skipping ahead to series 12 um, in Siliconia not everyone gets as much performance across in a mask as Robert does yeah. but uh, Dominic Coleman has got it spot on straight away yeah. and if I remember as well, in the um, the documentary for on the series 11 DVD the cast uh, the, the rest of the regular cast are all full of praise for Dominic Coleman and they like they go out of their way to talk about how great he was and how well he fit in and how they were kind of in awe of his performance so yeah, it was just really heartwarming and nice. Yeah. And this, this is possibly the best bit. <laughs> Equa Hecte. This is the moment that Doug co- <laughs> corrected the 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 like the long-standing thing of getting Kinatawawi names mixed up with the Kinatawawi language as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, or, even though this isn't Kinatawawi, just a similar tribe. It's a lot more complex than Kinatawawi, actually. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. Um so that's nice. Because in an episode that actually, I mean, it, it leans heavily on the past in a, in a number of ways, in um, all the best ways, I think. Like, it goes into the, the Crichton's mythology, basically, the Nova 5 and everything. Mm-hmm. And um, and just throwing just throwing Gelfs in there as just like an incidental thing. Just Yeah, feels get, nice. it's a red herring. It's like, yeah, you think this is going to be... The main plot of the episode is that now they're under attack from Gelfs and it's just undercut immediately yeah. by Dominic Coleman being brilliant. And then you've got this bit, <laughs> which is yes. on paper. <laughs> on paper, the the crew pause to spend two minutes all shouting ma at each other. <laughs> and yet, it's, and look at Danny John Jules, the way he does his ma's. He's so bored. <laughs> He's like, fucking, come on, guys, it's Ma. What's wrong with you? <laughs> and and Rob, I think Robert makes this, the, like, you were talking about, like, acting in a mask. Like, the, the 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 frown that he's putting on throughout this whole scene is, like, <laughs> imagine the face muscles needed for this. Just, but like, <laughs> yeah, it hurts to Pulling do that. down, yeah. <laughs> Half a stone of rubber is having to be pulled down into that frown. Yeah. And yeah, he does brilliantly in this particular line. You must go, go, be gone, be gone. <laughs> that is one of the few things in Latter Day Dwarf that's sort of creeped into our lexicon, <laughs> of which is comprised of various quotes from lots of things. And there's lots of classic dwarf in there, but there's two things in this, which is you must go, go, be gone, <laughs> and. <laughs> Do you dabble in X? X yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Crichton's frown <laughs> at this stage. 
<laughs> and he just made all the all the better by his ridiculous costume that he's wearing. I was about to say you kind of forget, and then it creeps up on you every now and then because it, it's like it's not referenced really until the end when it's kind of drawn to a conclusion. But after that initial scene where he's whizzing around and showing off. It's, he's just there in yeah. that stupid outfit and then every now and then you notice it and you go oh shit <laughs> yeah it's, I, I like the um, dedication to the joke really like it's not just one scene oh look I'm in a Ferrari now basically it's like he has to wear this stupid thing yeah. throughout the whole episode until he self reflects and goes back yeah the shoulder pads are ridiculous. You say that this show's never come out of the eighties. Well, there you go. <laughs> Specifically, <laughs> Dynasty. And this Crichton actually hits a real low here, when it's clear that they're in peril, yeah. and he just basically doesn't give a shit. He's so wrapped up in his little feud with Butler. Yeah. And it's he kind of, in a very small way, hits rock bottom. And all of a sudden, he he neglects his duties, like his his most vital duty is to keep the crew safe and well. Yeah. But then he realizes, and that's him starting to snap out of it. Yeah. Realizing how important it is that he has that um, it, that he looks after everyone because he's so vital mm. and so needed because they're all living in an incredibly dangerous situation. Yeah. He needs to carry on. Yeah. He can't. He can't that's just. He can't. He can't it. just be like you know a loner in his in his house like doing everything he wants to do because there's a certain lack of um yeah basically uh, butler doesn't have kids yeah yeah maybe this is a bit of a <laughs> butler, butler can do what he wants <laughs> yeah creighton's got kids to look after so therefore but they're both happy in their own different ways and yeah. neither is less um creighton's a proud stay-at-home mom <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, and as soon as as soon as he stops giving a shit, everything's about to <laughs> crumble. Yeah, but, yeah. It's, there's like <laughs> there's proper themes and things are like like all tied together. Um, and this is really weird, beautiful. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. The aesthetics first; it looks lovely. Yeah, it's fantastic. Concept wise, and look at whoa. the 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 um, composite as well that comes up. Yeah, look at that. Yeah. That is great. It's just really good and like of a level that you don't necessarily expect uh, from Dave era because of the budget limitations that they have. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and they don't always get it right, but when they do, they really, really get it right. Yeah, look at this; just look great. The scale of it just looks fantastic. This is all green screen, and look and and look how natural it looks. Like, looks Mm, the lighting is spot on. So good. Yeah. Yeah. There's a that big that big wide shot of when they're like, they're matted in basically. There's there's a similar shot in um, the Hitchhiker's TV show where uh, where they first arrive on the Vogan ship. Mm. Um, that's basically basically the exact same effect, but just done with a matte painting rather than um, yeah. CG. So there's there's a definite like side by side of just like look how far we've come to be had yeah. there. In that instance, that particular one was literally because this is in the making of Hitchhikers um, there's film of a guy stood at the top of the on the gantry with an easel and they couldn't get started with shooting until he'd finished doing his no painting no way yeah because it's, um, it's done in camera isn't it 
It's an in-camera effect. That one was done in camera, but because of that, uh, Hitchhikers developed a revolutionary technique for doing that in post. Uh, for taking an existing shot and adding the map, adding it to the map painting later, really? and cutting out in the oh. early eighties was groundbreaking. Oh. Okay, but so anyway, they are now speaking. <laughs> They're talking to the, to the universe. universe. Does <laughs> here's a question: Does does the universe really have to be a bad Morgan Freeman impression? <laughs> right. Okay. Do you want my head cannon for this? Go on. Yes. <laughs> okay. So basically, the way because this used to irk me when I first heard it, I was like, "Oh, they've done the whole God Morgan Freeman thing." Yeah. Really? Have you done that? But yeah, okay. So this this is my head cannon for this. So they have obviously the universe doesn't talk in human language, so it has to be translated from one to the other. So okay, right. the scientists in developing the the universe to human speech system, they thought, wouldn't it be funny <laughs> if it sounded like Morgan Freeman? <laughs> so basically, that's how I see it. Is it's, it's basically an approximation of what they assume. Like they try to program it as close to Morgan Freeman's voice as a joke. That's perfect. Yeah. That, so do that's, you know what that so reminds me of? It reminds me of the fact that so computer engineers, when developing basically how computers work, um, the lines between two two components is called a bus, and it's called a bus. Because a bus takes things from one place to another, it's literally is that called literally a bus because what, of buses. Why it's called a bus? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and so that reminds me of that is just that you know, the, the, the <laughs> when it comes There's... to things like jokes, in jokes and things like that, they're probably things that are just going to make you groan yeah. um, because they're too busy thinking about the amazing other things they're doing. <laughs> well, just take so, spam for... and Python, all that stuff. It's like all yeah. these terminologies and dongle. All these things come from Python, so. Bluetooth, because someone had just read a, a Viking history book probably the day before it was like the standard was finalized. So let's call it Bluetooth. But the idea. But what we're saying is that in the Red Dwarf universe, the film Bruce Almighty has lasted for hundreds, possibly thousands of years as a cultural icon yeah. <laughs> that people still return to. Well, it's just the fact that Morgan Freeman just has a voice that sounds slightly, you know, ascending. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, it's, like, it's transcendental, let's call it that. It, the, the, the effects of that film are far more, far more prevalent um, in, in popular, popular culture than the film itself at this point, because it did kind of almost put him to that kind of, that status of just like, you know, the voice of God, and now it's just yeah. kind of the way you would think, to the point where we heard this, and I haven't heard, I haven't thought about Bruce Almighty in a long time, but I still, when I saw this episode, I was just like, oh, they're doing the Morgan Freeman God thing, like, it almost feels like it's just a whole trope at this point, <laughs> even though it's pretty, only really done it once in one film. The thing is, though, I don't even know... Other than getting Brian Blessed to do it, <laughs> and get Brian Blessed to be God is the only way that I can imagine. Well, I don't know. How, I don't know how else they would do it. Like, I can't the give voice, you a better, so the voice in Futurama. God in Futurama was pitch perfect because it was just some some person. You know, it was just it was just kind of a slight. It wasn't very Morgan Freeman. It was just you know deep voice, but just talking normally. Like, it wasn't doing an impression of anyone. No. Well, here's an interesting thing though because. We're all accepting that that the universe is God in this, and it's kind of like that's mm, an analogy, that's but true. it's not. Yeah, it's clear that uh, the universe is playing the role of God, because he has a line about um, in all this time I've only ever created one planet that's got intelligent life, and that you know it, that has the universe in the creator role, 
But it's the fact that it's a Morgan Freeman impression that conflates it with God. Yeah, mm. you're right. Yeah, it's interesting actually because it's, it's something I've tripped up on and not realised I've done it. Yeah, it's not actually yeah. supposed to be directly God unless it it's is sort of subconsciously. Yeah. 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 And also, if if the computer itself is translating the voice into something that is understandable by humans, then it's presumably also translating the message that's been that's been given by it, to it uh, and using terms that that a human observing it would understand. And in that in this instance, the universe being God is how an a human being would kind of interpret yep. a force like that. Um, yep. So using things like create, saying words like creation. It is interesting though that. Doug obviously was very aware of this potential reading because he does mention the fact that, like, oh, there may be no God and no afterlife, no one knows. Mm. So that line right in the middle of that is proof that Doug yeah, was absolutely aware that, that what God. he was essentially not saying, but what he what it could be represented as or how it could be how it could be interpreted. Yeah, they should have. They should have actually said to the universe, that, "Don't worry, mate. You're not actually going to die. Once you get to the end of your life, you're just going to start going backwards. It's fine." <laughs> yeah, the thing is, uh, and also that the one thing, and it's just the, the one thing, kind of pissing me off a little bit is that, like, thirteen billion years is not the halfway point of the universe. <laughs> like, it really, fucking isn't. Like, we are nowhere near. Like, like, literally, the the heat death of the universe is fucking just. I can't even. I can't even comprehend the amount of time that will go before that happens. So Doug had to just pick a pick a, a big number and just yeah, thirty just billion it, sounds basically. big enough, but I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's not. It's, it's not a lot of time. It's really well, nowhere. maybe in the Red Dwarf universe, maybe our crew are going to do something which causes the death of the universe to be vastly accelerated. Well, Lister <laughs> created the universe, so he did. Yeah, in he did. both the books yeah. and. Um, Better than Back to Reality, which doesn't count. But still, <laughs> he's going to jump start the second Big Bang, and that's going to fuck things up. Oh, there's so much discussion about how religion ties into Red Dwarf. Yeah. There's so much in there. So what else is new? There's so many ways of like that. It's like it's sort of like picked on, like when it needs to be there for a joke, like when Rimmer, Rimmer's family is religious, just cause the, that that for that sake of that joke mm. or. You know, there's no mm. continuity to it. It's really kind of like fudgy and, and messy, but it's it's interesting the kind of cherry picking of like, oh, we'll we'll have that bit, and we'll have that bit, and yeah, and that goes right up to the promised land, yeah, um, and how Lister's actions are misinterpreted, and that really nice little speech he gives at the end where he just said, you know, it was luck or coincidence or science, and like just basically batting away <laughs> all the all the reasons why people are religious. Yeah. So that was a very strange episode. Yeah, I was going to say, we talked over one of the best lines. <laughs> like three things from this episode have entered the lexicon, and yeah. that's one of them. <laughs> what a very strange day. And yeah, it's it's Lister. So, not even close to actually breaking the fourth wall, but more acting in a sort of Greek chorus type way yeah. of a character saying something that resonates with the audience because it's like, it's... It's that traditional thing at the end of an episode where loads of weird things have happened. Is they just have a little sit down and calm down and sort of work through it, and to just have it start with Lister acknowledging what the audience is thinking of like, what? this is really weird, man. <laughs> this is a weird episode of Red Dwarf. Perfect. Um, he's come a long way since his like long rants at the end of episodes from series four. Or is yeah, it, or he's is a lot more justice? succinct. Yeah, he's a lot more succinct yeah. <laughs> in his old age. And yeah, and the revelation that Butler did all that on purpose, <laughs> and he has the universe on speed dial, which again is kind of ties back to the whole thing of what I was saying about like 
I don't think Butler is being combative. I, I see him as being like he's genuinely trying to help Crichton be better. Yeah. Like I think he's genuinely trying to to make him a better mechanoid. Like what you know, whether it's just imparting knowledge or kind of sharing his experiences or but that necessarily might not be what Crichton needs. Like what Crichton needs is Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I can definitely. I'm happy to see it that way. Of he uh, Butler realizes early on after meeting Crichton that he's having this crisis and he needs help, and so he sets about a, a plan to help him. Part of that is to show him what can be achieved as a mechanoid, mm-hmm. and that is going to involve a bit of showing off and boasting, uh, but also giving him this problem to deal with, helping him to meet the universe, but making it feel like it was him that did it. And yeah, give, giving him an example to live up to. So Butler was sent by God to walk among other, other mechanoids, uh, show them what it's like to be a mechanoid, and introduce them to God. Hang on, hang on, whoa, 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 whoa. right? You, okay, so so you've just said that. So Butler was sent by God. He basically went and gone and cured everyone. He went in yeah, and yeah, cured yeah. all the girls. He cured the girls. Holy fuck! That's a Butler bit like is Jesus, Jesus, isn't it? <laughs> Wow, it's more okay. like Jesus than um, than the Jesus in heaven. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's because he wasn't the real Jesus, not even exactly. a real Geordie. So, so there you go. So that, so I mean, that that's a nice. Um, like, obviously, Doug's talking a lot about theism in that episode and like rejecting it to a certain extent, but also taking some of the good bits mm. that you get from uh, from from Christianity in order to you know to to package up the message really of just. I think it's. I think why I like that episode so much. I think it's just because it's a nice episode. I mean, obviously, you know, you want action and peril and all the rest of it in a, in a show. You want it to kind of be dramatic, but it's dramatic in a in a non-violent way, in a non-aggressive way. And I think that's what's good about it. Is yeah. the fact that that episode. It's is, all character. Yeah, it's all character based. Crichton doesn't really get much of a focus when it comes to when it comes to yeah. emotional stuff because you know unless it's something that, that genuinely drives a plot on or you know something goes wrong with Crichton, then it's something that really. You know, works, but mm. with with uh, this episode, it's like very quiet and heavy, and I'm, I'm really happy. It's I'm really happy we've got it. It's the first. T- it's the only time in the Dave era where it's been where Crichton's been that much of a focus, and I think the last time would probably be beyond a joke, and no one wants that. Yeah, that's and then true. Prior prior to that, it would be the last day. The last day and Camille. Yeah. Camille, yeah. maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, yeah, um, Camille's quite a. Yeah, but Cam- Camille does do that to a, a lot of the characters. Like you know, everyone has their kind of smaller moments of self-reflection. It's weird. There's there's probably you can count the number of Crichton episodes on yeah. one hand, and two of them are back to back, end of series three and <laughs> yeah, beginning of yeah. series four. But yeah, and like you touched on earlier, Capsi, the the message behind it and what helps Crichton out of his funk is something that you can genuinely take on board. Mm-hmm. And like the main conclusion that he comes to in when he's talking to the universe is that as long as you've got love it's worth making the effort for or as long as you've got people togetherness etc mm-hmm. but i also quite like the more jokey one that he gives in starboard cockpit at the end when he says we're all in the same boat and while it may have a hole in it at least we can see the sea so that's kind of like you've got to find the positives quite poignant for an episode that aired in 2016 <laughs> Yeah. Um pretty much exactly the moment that um I found out that I was having a kid as well. So yeah, it's actually like maybe maybe that's it. Maybe it was just that the message was very um very resonant it ended up being accidentally resonant. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah, it was recorded, written and recorded a year earlier. Yeah. 
before we knew the fuckery that 2016 was. I mean, Trump hadn't even been elected at the time that this was this was broadcast, um, but we just had Brexit, and everyone was... Yeah. I say everyone. Uh, 52% of the country were quite depressed about that. Um, sorry, 48%. But yeah, <laughs> if it had been 52, it would have been all right. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a good episode, and I thought it was good, and I liked it. <laughs> it was a very strange day. So, if that's all we've got to say about crisis that about wraps it up for this dwarf cast oh but wait what's this a cloche has appeared <laughs> let me just open it up oh my god it's some waffles it's full of waffles <laughs> terribly disappointing <laughs> i wanted at least a lobster but <laughs> <laughs> but one of these waffles has a lobster on it oh my god <laughs> No, the, the, the lobster's gone bad. I'm going to throw it away. By lobster, you mean some tweets. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, this, this cloche is full of waffles that are made out of the tweets and comments from our loyal listeners slash readers who have been suggesting their uh, topics for us to talk about in the section that we call... Ah, so you're a cloche man. man. Waffle cloche. Uh, so, the first waffle, uh, which I have removed from this plate that was underneath the cloche... <laughs> has been sent in by Clem, who says, uh, would you like to see a new Doug Penn sitcom with a completely different scenario and characters, but starring Craig, Chris, Danny and Robert? Could it be any good? I think at this stage, I would rather, if you've got, if you've got that combination of people together, <laughs> you might as well. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'd probably rather have some Red Dwarf. Yeah, because it's, really, it's such a precious thing, isn't it, to have have all of them healthy together, able to record something. Yeah, it'd have to it, yeah. it'd be wasted on anything. But Bit record. of a wasted opportunity. Yeah. But to be more in the spirit of the hypothetical, uh, I think it could work. If the if we had an abundance of Red Dwarf and they wanted to do something extra because they had so much free time and budget and resources that they'd do something as well as Red Dwarf. Yeah. Maybe like an anthology series, like an Inside Number 9 style thing where it's the same cast doing different characters each week. I was going to ask, like, is there, has there been anything else that's kind of overtly done this other than, let's say, like the trilogy of Young Ones, Filthy, and, Filthy Rich and um, Bottom? Well, there's a there's a show called Miracle Workers on Sky One that has um, a a cast of people. So it's got Daniel Radcliffe and uh, Steve Buscemi and a cast of other people. And basically, the first series is set in um, a place called Heaven Inc, which is like a factory that deals with prayers and and all the rest of it, and kind of like it deals with the sort of like in a really kind of unusual way. But the second series is a little bit like Blackadder. I suppose Blackadder's oh. another example as well. Uh, Blackadder yeah. would be the example, yeah. yeah. Uh, but Black, but kind like of. Miracle Worker's second series has got nothing to do with the first series. It's basically an entirely, completely separate idea with the same cast. So yeah, yeah so it, it's kind of what this what this would be kind of alluding to is is a and the, and the and the relationships in the show are different as well. Like one person's got a daughter that didn't have in the first one and that kind of thing. So it's oh, a whole weird. Yeah, but it, it does work and it's it's quite yeah. it's quite unusual. But it's a good way of using uh, having a familiarity. A continuity between two series that have nothing to do with each other. It's yeah. a good way, like Blackadder. Same way, you know, you know what you're going to get when you've got a Baldrick and a Blackadder and a Melchit and a Percy and a, you know, what I mean, you're going to, you know, what you're going to get. It gives them the opportunity to tweak it each time, and because like Captain Darling is very different to Percy, um, 
and so they've taken their opportunity. Okay, we've done all we can with Percy, so let's do something else with Tim McInerney. Yeah. Melchit in series four is more like Wellington in three, and he's nothing like the Melchit in series yeah. two. So it's like there's a yeah. whole there's a whole journey that that character goes on in terms of like the way that he's playing it through his ancestry. Yeah. Mm. I would welcome them to have a go. <laughs> I don't think I'd be avert to the idea, but I just I'd be like, well, if you got them all together, can you just not make Red Dwarf instead? Because that's what I really want. I'd always be interested yeah. to see what else Doug has got got in him. True, yeah. Um, because we, we've Even seen if... that more with Rob. We've had loads of, actually, loads of other stuff from Rob. Yeah. And obviously, nothing he's he's done has been has been Red Dwarf has been that that heights, but he's done some really good stuff. And you know, like Fat is an excellent book. I st- I really like Colony. Um, the Quanderhorn's Quand- great. You know. Um, yeah, so I'd really say nice I'd say that. Rob's. Rob's post-dwarf writing is a mixed bag, but because he's done so much, then yeah, yeah. there there is therefore a few things that he've done that have been really good. Yeah. Whereas Doug, the only thing from Doug that's not red dwarf is over to Bill. Yeah. And I'd like him to do more, ideally. Ten percent to get his yeah. to get his average up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, and 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 yeah, maybe maybe it was like a bit of an 80s thing just just because the young ones and Blackadder doing it in two two slightly different ways of just like of, of like a stable of comedians that are kind of part on and um comic strip. comic strip yeah i was gonna say it's not quite the same thing yeah. but like yeah comic because strip. there was never one regular series and of carry comic on. Strip. it was always <laughs> and carry on yeah, yeah. <laughs> comic strips more in the carry on tradition um yeah but yeah um that's yeah, now of... you've got now like as i said Inside number nine, you've got Reese Shearsmith and Steve Pemberton kind of doing it, yeah, in an anthology way, which is a phenomenal thing that they do of creating so many different memorable and brilliant scenarios week in week out. Yeah, um, but I think yeah, and I think that's probably you have to be a certain type of writer, I think, to be able to do that. I think they've been given good practice with things like League and Psychoville and things like that in order to actually give them that practice of doing those kind of. Shows that involve the same people with a different, you know, with a different environment and a different setting each time. I guess when you look at series three of League of Gentlemen, each episode of that focused on a different character. Mm-hmm. There was other sketches in it. It wasn't completely half an hour on one person, but mm-hmm. about two thirds of each episode was focused on one character or yeah. set of characters, and that's a proto inside number nine. Now you look so, back, yeah, on it. it's like, and then Psychoville was again that whole thing of like because Psychoville was like an extension of. Of, of League in terms of like a, a long running arc that rang through the yeah. entire series and then the episode in the Psychoville, the rope one uh, became what Inside Number 9 was because they enjoyed the idea yeah. of having this sort of bottle episode where it was just these two people in this scenario and then we could do more with that and it's yeah so it's a, it's a natural progression for, for that to have happened but Red Dwarf it's tricky I mean the one thing I can that I would think would be quite cool would be to see a lockdown theatre done with the cast done doing something else that would Holy be quite cool. yeah that's where it would kind of fit the best way without much effort yeah and maybe maybe now specifically now something that has to be small scale and lockdown and and lo-fi and maybe this is the kind of thing that would work right now god can you imagine <laughs> That's that's a fascinating idea that like because the, the, the cast doing something like that with Rob almost just feels almost transgressive, doesn't it? Like like we're in this weird time where no one's really sure what's going on at the company um, yeah. and who's doing what. Doug's not a director anymore. 
but he is still the custodian of Red Dwarf. So, like, yeah, where do where do we stand with stuff like that? It's curious time. Very interesting. <laughs> and that mainly mainly to do with the situation at Granola Productions and nothing else. <laughs> that's the weirdest that thing. That is the weirdest thing that's going on right now. What I found really interesting about this, because this this was set in, sent in like weeks ago at this point, but what yeah. Clem has accidentally done here is produce the exact opposite of what is actually happening. <laughs> so instead of a Doug Penn sitcom that isn't Red Dwarf with the main cast, we are getting a Doug Pe- a yeah. Rob Grant penned scene, um, <laughs> or, or whatever it's going to end up being. Um, that is Red Dwarf that won't have the main cast and will have <laughs> other people. So because no one um, no one else from our readers actually sent us in a question for this, um, um, Han, a friend of the website, Jimmy Nail, did actually step in and, and send us this question. So I don't know, Ian, if you want to re- read what he asked. We've had a question in from Jimmy Nail. He says, I'll read pets. What do you all think of Rob Grant's new material not being performed by war cast-like? Uh, that's that's thank thanks Jimmy because uh, we did want to talk about that and uh, yeah it's an it's it's an interesting one so like for a bit of background we have covered this on the site but as part of the stopgap dimension jump basically Holly Hop that's happening next Hello. year um, as organised by the Red Dwarf fan club which now does not involve any of us in any way <laughs> so hey. we were as surprised as anyone um, Rob Grant is writing a new Red Dwarf script presumably. Yep maybe 10 minutes worth I, I, I'm not sure um, and it's going to be performed um, by winners of a competition so there's going to be like an open audition right But of fans yeah. reading existing scenes so everyone pick post series 6 scenes it would be hilarious um, <laughs> and picking a new a fresh Red Dwarf cast from that and this is touching on like as a, a topic that we have been talking about in fandom for years, which is would Red Dwarf still be Red Dwarf without the core cast with a replaced cast? And now it's actually going to happen in some way. <laughs> mm. And um, I think it's really interesting. And the more I think about it, the more I really love it as an idea. I'm 50 50 on it. I think, uh, like, but I think that is a lot of it is my own prejudices about knowing. <laughs> Red Dwarf fans and like my <laughs> mind automatically goes to the worst case scenario and I'm not going to name any names but anyone that's been to Dimension Jump will probably <laughs> know who I'm talking about like if there's any puppeteers involved for example <laughs> yeah well I, I mean this is why there's an audition process right and there's no yeah way exactly so my first thought was like oh Red Dwarf fans doing stuff is that is that a good idea in general uh but the more i think about it, yes there is a process involved it's not like names drawn out of a hat it's it's parts that are being auditioned yeah and what i found interesting in the uh the sort of casting call was that they said um there are no limitations on age gender or um ethnicity uh it's a kind of op- completely open casting uh, which they kind of had to do really because you couldn't say you have um, to be like Craig Charles, or yeah, yeah, you have to be, yeah, yeah. And nor could, nor would they probably want to say this is limited to men, because if it's the you know these four characters, they're all male characters. You wouldn't want to limit it, no. and because there's no reason to. You're assuming that they're just using the four main cast in this episode because Rob may have invented female characters. Uh, that's true, or yeah, or Holly and Kachansky are in it. Yeah. <laughs> you never know, but yeah, I hope that they use that to its advantage and we get to see 
we get to experiment basically with a different dynamic um, in terms of the gender mix yeah. and age mix and, and everything like having at least one of the characters be completely different to how they are in the TV series and that's what that's what I like about this idea what I'm starting to like more and more the more I think about it is that this does just feel like a do you know what fuck it let's see if this works sort of a thing it's like aside from the fact that it's a nice thing to do for the holly hop event it feels like it's almost an experiment of dipping the toes in the water of mm. the potential future for the show and just like you know just throwing throwing everything under the air and just say everyone who we like the best who does the best readings for all these parts regardless of age gender race anything just see what they do. All that matters is it's Rimalista, Cat and Crichton. Yeah. Like, th- there are no other boundaries. Let's see what happens. Um, is just really exciting. Like, the show still exists in its current format. It'll yeah. probably get new stuff at some point in the future. It's just, this is a cool... And the fact that it's Rob Grant just kind of adds to that. Well, that's the that's the biggest frisson. That's the biggest point of difference. It's, the, it's new Rob Grant Red Dwarf material, and I still can't quite get my head around the fact that that's happening. Yeah. And it, like it doesn't matter. It doesn't really matter what the status of it is in terms of you know how the scale of the production or whether it's canon or not or where it fits in or even if they're going to bother to attempt to fit it in anywhere. It's just Rob Grant deciding out of the blue to make some Red Dwarf happen. Yeah, this is like a first step, isn't it? I mean, yeah. honestly, if the if if the only thing that comes out of this is like a, an interesting curio, a ten minutes curio, and a new Red Dwarf novel from Rob Grant because he got the bug again, you know, <laughs> I'm happy with that. <laughs> Not asking much. If all that happens, all that happens is, is all our whole, dreams coming well, true. Do you know, do you know, just or just Rob just realizing, you know what? I re- I really like, I really like writing Red Dwarf. I you know if, if he re- realizes he's still got the rhythm. In him, you know, he can yeah. still do that because um, you you wouldn't expect him. Like, he seems to be in a, from a position of principle that if he realizes that ah, I'm not really enjoying writing Red Dwarf or I'm not as I'm not as good as I want to be at writing it, he won't push it. Despite the fact that he could probably make a bundle from doing that, mm. um, he would. You know, you, you'd imagine him to come from a more point of a of principle on that. So yeah, if if all this go if all this go goes smoothly, you can you can. Certainly hope. <laughs> you can certainly hope. And it all like the narrative arch of it makes sense as well. The fact that he's been doing so much stuff in the Red Dwarf arena all of a sudden yeah. in the last year with the quarantine commentaries, which kind of all started with him uh, appearing at Dimension Jump for the first time in God knows how long. Yeah. In 2018, it's kind of got him back into the Red Dwarf world. And now the next step of this is he's decided to dip his toe back into the water of actually writing the fucker. Yeah. It's very exciting, potentially. Can't wait. Which is good. It could, you know, at the same time, I don't want to appear disrespectful to the fact that Doug has been the sole, uh, he's been looking after a dwarf, like, on his own yeah. as a single parent <laughs> to the show <laughs> for uh, 23, well, 25-ish years yeah. at this stage. And it's not that I'm ungrateful uh, for all of the Doug Dwarf that we've got, and uh, nor would I want him ever to not make more Red Dwarf. I want, and like like we say, Doug is the official Red Dwarf. Like no matter what happens, what he's been doing for the last since series seven onwards has been fully hundred percent Red Dwarf, and this is not a replacement for that. And I'm not trying to mm-hmm. replace Doug with Rob, 
but it's a little bonus. It's a little extra. Mm -hmm. So as well as the fact that we've got all these bonus series in the Dave era that we never thought we'd have after we thought the show was dead and buried, to have that, hopefully that carries on as well. Plus... Rob's doing these little side projects about Red Dwarf. Yeah. That's the dream tonight. And Red Dwarf can can handle this. It can handle as many different versions as the creators choose to choose to manage, right? Like the T- yeah. the T V version is Doug's and that you would imagine that will never change. Where, whereas mm. the, the, there's there's lots of other avenues that Rob can take. And if we're gonna live in a world where they're not gonna work together, which he it's fair to say that you know that isn't going to happen. It would have happened. By it now. seems it, it would seem unlikely. Yeah. Yes. Um, then um, <clears throat> then I absolutely want a world in which both of them are doing their own thing. I I don't I, like at this point you know I don't care about canon. I don't care about a- anything like that. I just want them both to be doing Red Dwarf stuff really, because yeah. um, I, I think why the fuck that's not? a nice world. Yeah. Why the fuck not? It's what we need in this <laughs> it is. this dark dark time. And I should say, as a side note as well, that Holly Holly Hop as a concept is fantastic. Yeah, it, it, I'm really excited about it. Like it's, it's. I don't think I was going to be able to make D. Well, I mean, I hadn't booked a ticket, so I wouldn't have been able to make DJ in its original <laughs> date. But this has just kind of um, just opened things up quite a lot, and it's it's going to be a nice stopgap. And it was a nice surprise to see that it was happening. <laughs> I remember there being lots of early talk about like a like because DJ became quite a big beast and is still a, quite a big beast uh, in its current um, iteration. It's quite a, it can be sort of you know bordering unwieldy, on scary <laughs> at times. So I know kind of how much how much work goes into <clears> it. And we always kind of did talk about how like a little mini DJ would be nice between events if it's going to be like you know if DJs are going to be every two years, then some smaller event to kind of keep plate spinning or just to keep or to or to get hold of people who can't go to djs normally mm, but can do mm. like a one day event rather than three day event it's nice that holly hop is now you know becoming actual thing whether it's just a lockdown thing or whether it's going to be something in the future there's been a lot of proof shown to the world that you can do big things like this online but before lockdown obviously you know virtual events have all have been a thing but no one ever really considered that <laughs> Like you could do an entire thing like over over multiple days as well, like purely online. Obviously, all those charge for it and charge be worth it, yeah. the money. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and all that's kind of changing, and that's one of the positive side effects of what we've all been forced to re- adapt to. It does make me wonder, like, how something like DJ is going to happen in the future. From mm. now on. It's kind of strange to think. I mean, obviously, you know, find the fact we killed this thing dead and eradicate it. I don't know how. It's going or anything. I don't know how anything's going to be how it was. <laughs> yeah, in the in the wise words of um, Crichton, we're all in the same boat. It may be sinking, but at least we can see the sky. Yeah. We should try and look for the positives in that when we come out of this, we're not going to go back to normal, but we have the opportunity to redefine what normal is yeah. and take the best bits of the previous normality and improve other areas. Yeah. I mean, that's that's already starting. I mean, that, we're already getting yeah. those things. We're already getting things that, like, under any other circumstance, we would have never have got weekend commentaries with Ed by Paul Jackson and Rob Grant. That would not yeah. have happened. <laughs> that would not have been able to happen because everyone would have been so busy. So busy doing real things, yeah. But, you know, it would have been done once the blue moon and it had been had to be paid for by, you know, a production system and have to be done as, like, released things on iTunes or something like that and be, made a big, big thing out of it. But it was done in such a way that appealed, like you know, has, has, has managed to get 300 people per week kind of involved in something 
and it was it's it's been a it's been a fucking joy as those things and that's the mm, the yeah. one thing i'm kind of grateful for lockdown is for the, those kind of things the things that we would never have got otherwise and yeah. i do i do kind of take um some solace in the fact that there is some and that's and that in itself has kind of spurred on the whole thing of you know trying to reinvigorate the, the theater with through the lockdown theater system yeah been a, it's been a force for good. I'm not saying coronavirus has been a force for good. What I mean is <laughs> that people have been trying to make the best of a bad situation. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's the positive side of human nature is that you know you you put us in a shit situation, you put us in a hole, and we find our, our best way to dig ourselves out of it, mm. and we we make the best of what we've got. Yeah, you, you climb out of a hole, you can't dig out of a hole <laughs> unless you're a lemming. <laughs> no, you need a builder though. You, you need, oh like, yeah. You, oh no. Oh no! <laughs> I think we've got time for one more. We have several in the in the list, by the way, people, and we are happily collating your waffles as they come in. Uh, but we uh, we limit ourselves to just a few samples of some of the tastiest waffles each week. But we will get through yeah. all of them eventually because people will stop submitting new ones. <laughs> We're on a diet. We're trying to lose some of the weight. <laughs> Watch my figure. <laughs> so this is the one from Chris Carter. If any future novels appeared, obviously they'd be solo efforts. What episodes do you think Rob and Doug would mine for material, and which episodes do you think would lend themselves best to being expanded in prose? Hmm? Hmm? Answer me! That's what Chris Carter says. <laughs> I don't think Rob has much material to mine at this point, does he? I, that's what I thought, yeah. was that he's kind of backwards was up to and including series six. Um, like spoilers for anyone who's following <laughs> our book club pace, but fuck it. No, let's face it, everyone who's listening to this podcast has read the novels before. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he mines stuff from um, Gunman of the Apocalypse yep. uh, in particular in that. There's bits of Sirens in Last Human, I think, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. But yeah, in terms of Rob's Red Dwarf material, I think he's already taken his pick. <laughs> I think he's already done all the mm-hmm. bits that he wants to. Uh, which is what makes the prospect of a Rob one so exciting as well. I like the yeah. idea of like expanding on some of the other episodes that haven't been touched though. So like so Legion, I'd quite like to see in sort of expanded out in a novel. That'd be quite nice. Yeah. Mm. Uh, there are there are a lot of episodes that haven't been touched that could be touched. Like Hollowship is another one that could be expanded on as well. That's True. a really that, that that well that that had too much for the episodes for Christ's sake. I mean there was so much to kind of explore with with the idea. Yeah. It was almost too much for an episode. So that would be something. I think that there is scope to having some older stuff mined for, yeah, for a novel, especially a Rob Penn novel. But like for a Doug Penn novel, obviously there's a lot more to play with. It's got loads. And yeah, what would be really interesting with Doug's is mixing all those different eras that he's done because, yeah, he's. <laughs> the, well, there's now more Doug Red Dwarf than there is Robin Doug Red Dwarf. Mm. And the last and last human came out in '95, so everything from Series 7 onwards could be picked up and, and put in the mix. So you could have an alternate reality where um, Kennedy wasn't assassinated. You could take a bit of Tika's ride and then you could have, uh, while they were there, the um, Exponoids came in and halted technology and have a bit of Twentica. Yeah. <laughs> and then in the aftermath of that, this corporation turned up and, and, and brought up all the Earth's resources and have a bit of MCOR thrown in. Yeah. But I think, yeah, I think MCOR is one of the ones that first sprung to mind of like, absolutely, there's so much to explore there. Absolutely, there is. That is that is a re- that could be a whole book in itself. Mm. There's a whole yeah. slew of, of potential with that idea. Lister's dealing with MCOR and Rip Rimmer's off in, on Hollowship. Yeah, you could yeah. completely split off, you could completely yeah. fuck off those two things. The cat's down in the hole dealing with a polymorph. 
Well, but the thing yeah, is, it, it sounds weird, but... Let's it, convert can of worms, for God's sake. Well, <laughs> you say that, but the thing is, in, in, in the novels do take on different ways of reading a thing. Like, the, the yeah. can of worms thing could work better as a novel than it would ever in a True. Well, maybe that's the way to go. Maybe don't risk doing an adaptation of a successful episode. Maybe he should... Fix a shit one. <laughs> yeah. Maybe he could do Red Dwarf the Tank and just have the whole of Series 8 in novel form, but better. Again, I would not have a problem with that as a novel. As a self-contained thing, yeah. yeah. As a premise for a book, a lot of this stuff that would be deemed strange for an episode or a series would actually work pretty well in a book. Like, because you can expand on the stuff that you kind of have to gloss over in the episodes for mm. the sake of time. But the books have a lot more scope and ability to, to, to dig into those things and make them a bit more realistic. Although, to be fair, I just want a fucking script book. Just make a script book. Like all the yeah, rest of the other script books. And that, yeah. just do that, please. Just, 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 you've got a backlog, so get on with it. <laughs> one series at a time. I'd buy it one series at a time. Easy. Oh, yeah. A series of books in the style of the Series 8 book. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Please. 13 of them. But, yeah, maybe an episode like Time Wave would be best in prose. Because then you wouldn't have... The visual. weird production decisions yeah. to distract you. Yeah. And like if you remove the fact that Ziggy is a crossdresser, then suddenly the episode is only half as offensive as it is. It's and it's so yeah, I'm not gonna against that. We'll we'll come to time wait in a future commentary. Oh god, yeah. have we not done that one yet? Yeah, no. Oh no. If you did Fathers and Sons in prose, you could just not have Taiwan Tony. You could <laughs> yeah, you could take the pre-elements and the list is his own dad elements of fathers and sons and have that and throw away the shit bit Robberus hasn't even been like explored in, in prose either so it's like he could admit we could mash those two things together and have a whole oh that's it continuity. even for episodes that i don't like at all i can see that the the idea like epideme for example mm-hmm. is one of my least favorite episodes um for many reasons, but mostly the central guest performance. Uh, but if you were to do that idea in, and do something new with that gem of an idea, then that could be brilliant. Yeah. All of these ideas are, are, are great. You know, I, even like the exploration of Abel as a character, as a whole yeah. section of Abel and the simulants and all that stuff could be done as a whole separate subchapter and a whole separate thread going on at the same time, you know? Mm. Some stuff just lends itself better to. A book than it does an episode but ultimately serious proper answer is an entire 300 page minimum novel set in the mr rat universe <laughs> is what I want. hell yeah <laughs> i think that might finish me off i think i'd, I'd just leave, I'd leave fandom <laughs> i wouldn't know how to process it, it the whole thing of Multiple universe thing. That's that's such a doable thing. Yeah, yeah, and flesh it out because it's such a such it's it's got infinite potential to it. Mm-hmm. And Skipper felt like, oh god, is that it? Is that really it? Like you got to do more. You got to do so much more with this idea. But no, yeah, no, you could finished. do all that, but have something clever and spacey, <laughs> tying timey wimey tying it all together. Yeah, like there's so you you spend a novel skipping between these different universes, these different iterations of Red Dwarf, and there's something at the end that ties them all together in a, um, <laughs> a Doctor Who Time Lord Victorious type way. Yeah, so it's done consciously. Yeah, and have some big action at the end that solves problems in all those universes and brings it all together into one glorious whole narrative that our Rimmer is behind. Yeah. And again, Hoagie needs to be a thing in a book. 
<laughs> for sure. <laughs> you need Hoagie in a, in a novel, for sure. <laughs> do you write the accent? Probably yeah, do, you have to write you? it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, they did with Juanita. Oh, God, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Which is another reason not to have fucking Taiwan Tony in, <laughs> in the adaptation of Fathers and Sons. <laughs> I think that brings us to the end of this particular portion of Waffles, so let's put the lid back on the cloche. I'm stuffed. Hang on, the, the the lid is a cloche. You, cloche you're gonna you're gonna put the remaining. You have to um, put the remaining waffles in kind of longer term storage, like maybe like there's a can over there. It's it's got a few worms in it, but just just put the waffles in there for now, and then we'll 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 get them out of there later. Well, that's a weird thing to say, because <laughs> our next episode that we're doing a commentary on is can of worms. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah. And well, I mean, you know, that makes perfect sense now. It's gonna be a lot of fun. To watch that again, so we'll we'll summarise that in five minutes and then just spend the rest of the time just doing waffle men. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so look out for that. Um, of course, if you want to contribute any further waffles to this can uh, of <laughs> on top of the worms, then please uh, do submit your comments on Ganymede.tv or on Twitter. Twitter handle is Ganymede Titan. Okay. So this should give you an idea of the kind of person we're working okay. with. Okay. But our next podcast will be the next part of the Red Dwarf Book Club, which is focusing on Better Than Life Part 3, Garbage World. That will be out in a couple of weeks' time, assuming you're listening to this immediately, and if not, why not? Uh, but until then, uh, thank you so much for listening. Stay safe, stay at home, just stop it. Uh, and until next time... Ed bye, everybody. Ed bye. Thank you for listening to GNT Dwarfcast, and we hope sometime in the future you'll decide to listen to our Dwarfcast again. Have a safe onward journey. Goodbye. Stop it. I do like that. Stop it. Whatever you do, stop it. No. 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 No.